You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and SJ Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. And this week uh, is one of the last weeks of the year. This is going to be the last episode of 2018. We will be back the first week of 2019 with another brand new guest. Uh, but we're going to wrap up the year with a cool one. This one is uh, this was one of the funnest interviews I've ever done. Um, I, I finished the interview completely inspired and on fire. Um, I think I even texted my producer and, and said how inspired I was. Um, but this dude has been on my radar since 2001, and we talk about it a lot in the interview. But uh, Mr. Chris Conley from Saves the Day and Two Tongues, um, I, came into, I came into Saves the Day at uh, Stay What You Are, so a little bit late three records in, in 2001, and uh, basically got told, hey, have you heard the new saves today? And I said, who's that? And then they sat me down and proceeded to play me everything. So um, very, very cool guy. Uh, we had a blast talking. Like I said, this is one of the funnest interviews I've ever done. Uh, very passionate about what he's doing. 
uh, as we all know. If anyone who listens to his music uh, knows how into that he is, and and uh, he's into a lot of cool stuff. We didn't go into everything on this episode. We are going to do a part two, and that's going to be in February when he comes through Portland. So excited for that one. Uh, but Chris Conley joins us today on the show uh, and is an absolute blast. So uh, holidays are here, getting everything together, getting everything wrapped up for the year, trying to to just put 2018 to bed and move on to 2019, um, you know, with a fresh outlook on everything. Um, it's been a tough year for a lot of people. It's been a tough year for me. Um, you know, we took a hiatus there for a little while, just a bunch of stuff going on, but things are looking up. And uh, I, I mean, I enjoy doing this show so much for you guys. And, and I mean, it's it means a lot to me too to be able to exercise my brain and, you know, sit down and talk to someone that I may necessarily may not necessarily have ever met before and, you know, work on work on that and, and just communicating. It's a big deal. Communication's a huge deal for me. And, and just with all the texting and emails and everything is just so impersonal. Uh, maybe that's why it's so refreshing to sit down and have a conversation with somebody, um, you know, like Chris or, or anybody. Um, just spending that time conversing with each other and actually making a connection uh, seems to hold a lot more weight nowadays. You know, we see people in our daily lives and there's a lot of small talk and everything else. But when you really dig deep, there's, I mean, there's a lot of good in everybody. And, and uh, I truly believe that. So, uh, again, thank you guys for all the amazing numbers this year and, you know, people that have bought merch, um, supported the show in any way, told a friend, you know, liked her, shared our stuff on social media. It just means the world to me. And uh, I really appreciate having you guys around. I know I say that all the time, but it's true. And that's why I say it all the time. So uh, super stoked to get into this episode. Let's get some business out of the way and we'll jump in. Um, I want you guys to go check out rockabilia.com. Rockabilia.com has been supporting the show for well over a year now and the network Jabberjaw. And I mean, what an absolute uh, just joy it's been to have them on board. Um, I mean, they have a great, great selection of products or 500,000 items in the store. Uh, PC Jabberjaw is the code. It'll get you 15% off your order. Uh, I know Christmas is around the corner and everyone's wrapping up their Christmas shopping, but uh there's a lot of people giving out gift cards, so you get those gift cards, you want to get a new shirt, new hoodie, new coffee mug, head out to rockabilia.com, use PC Jabberjaw's code. Um, the other one I want to talk about as far as spending money locally is Sticker Ninja. Sticker Ninja has been hooking us up like crazy with amazing, amazing stickers, um, and I say it every week, but they are a mom and pop shop, literally. Uh, Elena and Justin are fantastic people. Um, there's a big purple building down by the road from the house and it is full of amazing stuff and they are doing awesome things with, with, uh, their talents and taking art and printing it. Um, I mean, these stickers hold up, I say it every week, but literally my hard hat from work, these things get knocked around constantly and it looks like I just put them on and they've been on there forever. So, uh, definitely check out sticker ninja, sticker ninja pdx.com is the website, uh, you can find them on Insta Instagram and uh, everywhere else. But Sticker Ninja is like family to the show now, and it's been a it's been really cool that our sponsors stay on long term and you know kind of become family. It's really cool. That's what I wanted to do with the show originally. 
when I start talking about doing advertising and things like that. So, uh, and I've got a lot of cool feedback from you guys on Rockabilia and Sticker Ninja. You guys are enjoying uh, what you've done from them, and that makes it you know even that much better. So, uh, that's it for the business. PeerPleasurePodcast.com is the website. Uh, the store, uh, PeerPleasure.BigCartel.com. Get yourself some stickers for the holidays stickers for next year we're gonna put some new ones up too we're we're always making new designs and everything else we got some cool artists with us so um check out that big cartel or excuse me peerpleasure.bigcartel.com and uh i'm gonna quit rambling guys um but real quick a big thanks to everybody at jabberjaw um you know they've just been a fantastic network um they work really hard for us and all the hosts and for you guys to make the best content um, and we can't do this without them. And so big shout out to uh, the Jabberjaw family, uh, Mike, Deanna, Steph, David, um, Lance, everybody. It's just been a big help. Um, and Samantha, our new producer, who's been very helpful with getting things in line and, and uh, keeping me on track. And because, you know, I, I can go all over the place, as you guys have heard. So big thanks to her and shout out to her and, and just uh, thanks again to all you guys. I really appreciate it. This will be the last show of 2018 uh, and we'll be back first week of 2019 with a fresh new guest. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into this one. Mr. Chris Conley from Saves the Day. Chris Conley from Saves the Day. Welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast, my friend. Thank you for having me. I'm psyched to be here with you. Excellent, excellent. Where is home for you now? Chico, California, Chico, which is about three hours north of San Francisco. Okay, perfect. I'm up in Portland, Oregon, so uh, same time zone. Yeah, northwest. Yeah, hopefully you're having better weather. <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad today. Oh, God, it is pouring, pouring is rain right now yeah absolutely and it's cold and it's yeah miserable yeah <laughs> yeah no bueno oh, man well uh so just to start off real quick how i discovered saves the day was back uh i came in a little bit late but not really um in 2001 uh when stay what you are came out uh we had a friend we were starting up i was in a band called anatomy of a ghost at the time and oh, cool. uh, we had a friend that came over to the house and was like hey have you heard the new saves the day record and I'm like who and she's like, oh, God. Okay, here you go. Put it on. Blew my mind. 
So I started, oh, I started working backwards. So thank I, you so much though <laughs> for saying that. That's oh, awesome. You bet. It was it was something. I mean that that whole time, we kind of cycled through a lot of the Vagrant bands at the time, and and uh, um, that record came out on Vagrant, so that kind of fell into that wheelhouse. And and um, yeah, there were so many great bands putting out records right then. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like this whole little microcosm going on there. But um, anyway, so. I missed every show you guys played in Portland. Uh, I had a different work schedule than the rest of the guys, and they would all tell me how amazing the shows were, and I missed every single one of them. Oh, and I finally oh, caught you guys randomly on Warp Tour. We did a Warp Tour, uh, I forget what year it was, um, but you guys did a few dates, and I was like, fuck, finally I'm going to see Saves the Day. So it took that long. Anyway. Oh, um, man. It was, Which was it 2014, do you think, or 2006? Those, 2006. Those were the two. 2006. Cool, yeah. We were doing two sets a day that that year. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it was it was yeah. That was a crazy that was a crazy warp tour. But uh, it took that long, so five years yeah. to finally <laughs> see it live. And uh, oh man, well I hope it was worth the wait, dude. It was awesome, and uh, yeah. I've been you know I've been a fan ever since, and and to all of uh, uh, all of the guys from the band and a whole bunch of them are now in Portugal. The man, like we were all heavily oh, influenced sick. by that stuff so that's oh that's awesome that's uh i mean your reach reaches very far and i know you know that but uh anyway that's well, I'm, I'm no i'm honored man thank you so much but that's uh, that's so cool excellent excellent well um you know i don't know a lot about you chris as far as on a personal level i mean i know your music and and uh you know what it means to me but uh you grew up in new jersey yeah i grew up in princeton new jersey Okay. Which is uh, like Central Jersey. It was a great place to gr grow up. I went to this pretty much the same school my whole life. This uh, a nice school my parents sent me to, mm -hmm. and uh, there was a really cool record store in Princeton called the Princeton Record Exchange. Okay. And I used to go down there all the time, and they'd turn me on to the coolest bands like Archers of Loaf and uh, Sunny Day Real Estate and stuff like that. So I was really lucky to grow up in that cool college town. Chico's yeah. a college college town as well, so I feel feel very much at home. It's on the same parallel as well. Sure. Did that have something so, to do with moving out to Chico, or? Um, it. No, I think it had a lot to do with how comfortable I feel in Chico, okay. just because it just feels like it feels like home because it's just got that college town vibe. Yeah. Um, but also, it's it's sort of bizarre. We're on the exact same lay uh, lay line. You know, the like. Those uh, underground rivers that run, you know, uh, beneath the earth, uh -huh. beneath the surface of the earth, rather. Yeah. Um, we're on the exact same ley line out here, so it's like exactly parallel with Princeton back east. So I don't know if there's much to do with, you know, my <laughs> making me comfortable here, but it it feels like home. There could be something said about that, some yeah. magnetism or something. I, I yeah, know, exactly. I know you're big into... Um, that whole realm of, uh, yeah, uh, and I want to talk about that too. I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it isn't being an artist being, we, I mean, Oh, heck yeah. The best people. Yeah. Life is the art. You have to be weird to be an artist. I think oh, you yeah. have to be on a different wavelength and you have to be, uh, I mean, just to, to put yourself out there to be in that realm and to, I mean, it takes a special kind of person and, and not everyone can do it. So, 
I mean, yeah. I've always believed that it's there's something there's something a little off with everybody, but yeah. with, with yeah, artists, right. it's what makes it's it's. Uh, I don't know if it's concentrated more to make it so. I don't know. So you're it, just a zany. Yeah, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't mind being a bit freakish. Yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn it, we're five minutes in and we're already starting this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is. <laughs> Oh my God! Okay, well, so I want to I want to kind of you know saves the day started out kind of you know playing hardcore shows and and stuff. You guys did a tour with Bane and things like that. Like this, yeah. Is, I wish I came into it right at that point and kind of started at the beginning uh, for myself before hearing "Stay What You Are," but that was a, a really cool thing to go backwards and kind of yeah kind of trace back. So yeah, um, that's cool because the evolution was pretty pretty rapid as we were like just learning more about being a band and i was learning more about guitar and songwriting and stuff yeah so it was it was kind of wild to go from being this like hardcore band to you know s sounding a bit more like the foo fighters or something but at the same time there were like lots of bands in hardcore that were getting really into sort of like pop rock and roll or like uh Foo Fighters had that record, The Color and the Shape. I think that's what it's called. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that was like everybody was just blasting that. And Pinkerton, the Weezer record. And uh, and then, oddly enough, that Refused album, the shape, the shape of Punk to Come. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Came out. So that was like the transition but from like punk to punk and hardcore to like the more uh, modern sounding, you know, jimmy world's t type of bands i oh. think those those groups are the links like foo fighters weezer refused yeah and so like and then so years later uh as i learned a lot more about guitar i was also able to do a lot more and stretch as a musician so stay what you are was that was just all a really exciting time as a musician just like in my journey like as a writer so it was cool it was wild to go from being a punk band to being sort of slightly, slightly strange, angular <laughs> rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, and did you, did you, I mean, that's a, those are great examples of that, of that time, like things changing. And, and I mean, the facts that fact that refused put out that record and, and uh, then basically broke up and just yeah. put this opus out there for everybody to be like, all right, here you go yeah, and, and like deal a, with it. Yeah, it's like a test too. It's like <laughs> the shape of punk to come, and then they just leave us all in the lurch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely like you got to step up. That that record was so far ahead of its time, it's and they insane. were they they started as just a just a straight up hardcore band. They were on Equal Vision as well. That's our label. Yeah. So yeah. their their evolution was just wild. Dude, this is there's so many ties here because I Dennis Dennis from Refused is a buddy, and oh that's uh, so cool. We, we talked about this in an airport in Mexico City. We went down to I flew down literally for my birthday to see Ozzy, uh, and they were <laughs> playing with Ozzy, and we talked about this like putting and he was on the show too, but but oh, putting awesome. out this thing and watching your influence from the sidelines, like not that's touring crazy. on anything else. It's a weird. It's a whole weird thing. I can't even imagine. But, that's uh, gnarly. Yeah, and with EVR, Dan Sanshaw is the one who kind of set this whole thing up with you and I because uh, he he wanted to sign Anatomy of a Ghost when Fearless did, and we went with Fearless anyway. Uh, 
but uh, Dan's been like a, a brother ever since. Oh, God, I just love him. He's, he's one of the best people in the world. He is literally one of the best people in the world. He's I wouldn't be here without that guy. Like, my he his first, basically his first, like, A&R gig at EVR was our first album, Cancel It Down. Really? Yeah, yeah. So we go all the way back to, Man. to day one. That's insane. Yeah, he's just, he's a, he's one of the, one of the great ones. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he's just fantastic. He's such a champion for artists, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've it's tried really... to get him on the show and he won't, he doesn't do interviews. So I was like, really? I, I want to get your story out there. But he's like, it just goes against what I, what I do. Oh my gosh. Oh, that would be really fascinating to hear that actually. He's yeah. coming to Chico in, uh, in like a week. He's, or, or so, he's flying out to Chico because, um, one, just to have fun and see the whole Chico scene <laughs> operation. There's a lot of great talent here. Sure. And but also um I planned this nineties cover band. What? And we do like all like nineties grunge covers and stuff, like Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins. And we're doing like a holiday show before like three days before Christmas. So he's gonna come out and hang out for that. So I'm super psyched. I'll try to see if I can get him to get him get him to open up about opening up for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. I'm gonna nudge him. You have a nineties cover band. All yeah, right, we gotta talk about this for a minute. <laughs> tripping on a hole in a paper heart. Like, like that's the Stone Temple Pilots smash- song. Yeah, exactly. I learned to play bass from that song. No way, dude. Yeah. That that bass line is so good. Yeah. I used to sit oh. with this little shitty amp in my room, and I didn't have a guitar yet. My mom bought a bass at a garage sale, and I started learning by ear. Oh, God. that's That, that bass line is like John Paul Jones level brilliant. <laughs> it's amazing. Sounds like Zeppelin, yeah. All right. I got, so I got to ask you this question, then, if we're on Stone Temple Pilots for a second, because... So they put out this new record. They've got a new singer who sounds exactly like Scott. Really? It's insane. Oh, I don't man, know if I got to hear that. Okay, no, so you I haven't, haven't heard it. Okay. Oh, I got to hear it. Problem I have with it is he yeah. emulates Scott's movements. and every, It's almost like he's oh. acting in a movie. He's not himself. He could be right. himself and sound like Scott, but he takes it to a whole other level. The sunglasses, Interesting. The, the movements, everything. So check it out. Anyway. Okay, yeah. I'm curious because those two brothers are like maybe some of my favorite musicians ever. So I'm uh, the DeLeo brothers. Yes. So I got I to gotta hear it now. Yeah, yeah. Dean Good DeLeo heads up. And, yeah. Good heads up. There you go. <laughs> Um, well, uh, w- going back to, to what we were talking about with the, with the, the changeover from, you know, hardcore into, um, you know, more, uh, I guess like modern uh, rock, modern rock. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, what, what sent you that direction into the modern rock direction versus staying like with the punk and hmm. hardcore scene? Like, Oh, that's a great question. I grew up and I really loved classic rock, like Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. So I always really liked big guitar riffs. And, um, I also liked, I was like a a fan of songs that have like really good melodies, like catchy melodies. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of what I like. I gravitate to stuff that's more like poppy, so to speak. Sure. And, um, at the time, uh, like in high school when I was writing the early saves the day songs, uh, there was this hardcore scene in Princeton and in New Jersey and in the East coast that was really massive. And we would go to see shows but i wound up i wound up really preferring the bands that sang melodies like lifetime and gorilla biscuits for example like those bands if you zoom out they're just sort of like really fast aggressive melodic music so i like the melodies in there and the guitar work so that's what i was i was into 
And I was into that sort of kind of music for like, you know, maybe a year and a half, like in a phase in high school. And I had come from the uh, classic rock and then listened to like grunge in the early 90s, Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins. And um, and then I got into punk. Uh, so but I really liked like Jawbreaker. OK. And uh, I liked like indie rock, like Sunny Day Real Estate and Jawbox and Archers of Loaf. All those those groups, even though they're sort of like uh, technically sort of uh, pr- proficient players that, you know, it's like and it's upbeat, weird sort of indie music. They also have really, really solid, strong melodies. So um one of the bands that like all the hardcore kids listened to back then a ton as well were the Smiths and the Smiths. I really latched onto because again, they had great melodies and great songs and really cool guitar parts. And at the time, Morrissey's lyrics were, were really inspiring. So I, I was uh, taught or trained as a creative writer in school. So I, my thing was like poetry and short stories and whatnot. Okay. So I really liked, Morrissey and uh, Blake Schwarzenbach's lyrics. And then when a friend introduced me to Lifetime, the lyrics were so good. So, and it turns out Ari Katz, the singer, lyricist, it was a massive fan of Jawbreaker. So it was just this obvious thing that made sense. Like I fell in love with Lifetime and then Lifetime was in love with Jawbreaker. So I went from like Jawbreaker to Lifetime. And then that was sort of like for a year and a half, I was just completely wildly obsessed with this new sounding music that uh, was very fresh to me. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so then we'd make the first Saves the Day album. And I was uh, a senior in um, high school. So we uh, finished high school and went on tour with Bain right after graduating. And as we were on that first tour, we were listening to The Color and the Shape and Pinkerton and uh, The Shape of Punk to Come. Mm -hmm. So and we were going on these long drives and just like psyched on those records, just playing them, you know, on 11. And so when I came home and uh, went to NYU that after that summer, I was just now like in a phase of listening to Foo Fighters and Weezer, you know, so. So that's how that that transition sort of happened, going from classic rock to grunge, which which is kind of interesting because like all the grunge bands like grew up with '60s music, but it was being made in the '90s. If you look at like Smashing Pumpkins, the guys wearing like paisley, he looks like they could, they could be playing Woodstock, <laughs> exactly. And he's like blazing solos, so it's very much like classic rock, which is my like that's what I still love the most. Sure. But then I got into the punk and then I got into hardcore largely due to the, the good melodies of s- some of these bands. Propagandi was another one. I really liked the great guitar oh, parts yeah. and great, great melodies. Yeah. And then, so yeah. So then we went on tour and those records had come out and we were just psyched on them. So then when I came home and was writing the next record through being cool, it all the mid tempo stuff is a definitely a reflection of the color and shape and the shape of punk to come. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the I mean, there's a lot of good stuff there too, and and like uh, you've toured with Weezer before, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Those Did the you first ever get time to sit down like... and talk to him about 
Pinkerton and what it meant to you? And because I, I know he hated that record. Yeah, I think at the, at the time it was a real sore subject because I think they had just sort of re- reformed, uh-huh. and they were only playing like maybe one song from that record a night. Okay, and um, and you you just knew that it was like a hard, a very hard experience, probably like traumatic experience. I would say mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. And so you could just tell that it was like, let's not really open this can of worms right now. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I just felt for the guy. I got you. Do you have a record that's that way for you that, that you just do not like playing songs like, from or anything like that? No, not for saves. I love okay. it all. Good. Yeah. Cause it's, but we, good. we had the, our record where our fan, it took our fans longer to catch up with it. With, was uh, in reverie. So we had, a similar experience that they had when they put out Pinkerton and at first their fans weren't like a hundred percent on board, but like six months later it was, everybody was into it. Yeah. Um, so the, but I had not had that experience yet when we toured with Weezer, we were still just sort of like cruising. Okay. Um, so I didn't, I also, I think maybe I could have like, uh, had a chat about that if I had, already gone through that experience but sure it just felt like very raw yeah okay that was the general mood that i could i picked up on but you know again you, it's hard to tell what people are really going through but just being respectful and didn't didn't open that <laughs> yeah yeah i know it's open hard that to not door way out in those situations too you know? yeah because i would i wanted to say like how <laughs> that's my favorite record right now you know like yeah. pinkerton i love pinkerton so much um, but yeah, you could just tell it was like, let's not, <laughs> let's not talk about that. Well, I mean, it's cool hearing these stories because like the, the, um, like through being cool, stay what you are, that, that whole area is when we were doing the same thing, doing our first tours and literally singing those songs at the top of the lungs. Like, uh, oh, there was so cool. such a cool and the lyrical content was so cool. I mean, it was just like, there was just this like dark, kind of like sadistic craziness to the lyrics to it yeah these but these melodies were so catchy and that all came from morrissey because like if you listen to the smiths yeah you know they're really catchy songs but he's saying you know if a 10-ton truck killed the both of us to die by your side is such a heavenly way to die like that's right there that's like the the essence of saves the day lyrics yeah you know yeah so that all all came from morrissey that's killer. I I yeah. didn't put that together. Like this, yeah. this, that's awesome. It was like these heartbreaking lyrics, but the catchiest songs you'd ever heard. So like I, that was really intriguing to me. Yeah. You, well, and plus, I was just like an emotional. <laughs> I was hell of emo, dude. So <laughs> you know, just going through the just the the raw truth of like a, being a teenager. Yeah. And so that gave me an outlet where I could I could write about my feelings, but still because i love poppy music write catchy songs and then the to marry the two was i didn't like think of it as anything like new or anything i just it was just typically the music that spoke to me that was like that jawbreaker has like really heart-wrenching lyrics but the songs are catchy you know sure it's like that subtle delivery where you you're it's like a like a trojan horse where you just coming in yeah yeah 
it's it's awesome because then you yeah can literally suddenly like you're like wait what am i in. singing <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like yeah you're at the top of your lungs the window's down someone's looking at you you're talking about collecting someone's blood you know like right <laughs> you yeah know, it's it's hilarious to think about like uh, but the connection and, was and there. all of that yeah and all that was just poetic license so i could get these feelings off my chest that one thing like um sometimes people have a bit of a misunderstanding of of the uh the basic like um emotion in the lyrics which Mm is is just so that i can express a feeling and it doesn't necessarily i mean it's 99 percent of the time it's not like an actual (laughs) i'm like a very calm and you know uh mellow person and uh you know, I just like privately <laughs> you wrestle with these emotions and write about them just as a way to let them uh, live outside of me, you know, so that you, you, it was, it's been my way of venting and processing just like my emo feelings, but sure. I'm like a, I wouldn't hurt a fly kind of guy. So <laughs> where do those, where do those emo feelings come from? I mean, is it anything specific that, that really, uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up in this school I went to, I was like the one like fat kid. So, um, like I was like just relentlessly teased just cause I was the only one to get, you know, so I like just got, was relentlessly teased by like people in my class, below my class, above my class. And, or, you know, even when I was in like grade school getting teased by like high schoolers, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, uh, just a classic Carrie kind of story. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just like, I was just, uh, yeah, just, just like, just people making fun of me. So it's not, I don't know if you've experienced something like that, but it's rotten. Yeah. So I have, I think that's why, yeah, that's why like. Nowadays, the D.A.R.E. program teaches about bullying, you know, so it's because yeah. that's just it's like it's torture. So that's where all that came from. Just be just standing, sticking out like a sore thumb and getting teased for it. Sure. Man, that's awful. I, I mean, it's it. I mean, people are. Yeah, people. I think we just got to learn how to be respectful of one another. And, you know, because. Yeah. It's so, it's so hard just to uh, keep your head above the water in general. We could be doing a better job of loving one another. So that's my vibe. I 100% agree. I yeah. 100% agree. And, and, I mean, now there's cyberbullying and all that stuff. And, like, you just see these awful things. Like, I have a, a, a stepdaughter that's in college right now, her first year of college. And just seeing the things she's grown up with that we didn't have to. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, people can sit in their room and just destroy you like – you know, the worst thing we had like this, I wanted to bring this up because you brought up in reverie, but, um, you know, people like the people reviewing records and, and critics and stuff like that, that just sit in like, they were just, you, you just picture these trolls just sitting there, you know, in their bedroom writing down the meanest thing they could think of and posting. Yeah. It it's really weird. It's really a weird thing. I, my, the only thing I can sort of make sense, uh, of it all, uh, or the only way that I can make sense of it is that these people were treated that way at some point by like a parent or a sibling or something. Yeah. Um, or they're just like, uh, just extremely mean spirited either, either way. It's not all right. Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, I think I think it's getting better though because I have a daughter who's 13, so she's in eighth grade. Okay. She'll be in high school next year, and uh, like that's how I know that you know they're teaching about teaching people not to bully and to be respectful like in school now. So like if I was, they didn't you know they just like let it all happen when I was a kid, but uh, but and and it's you can see how it just tears someone apart, and that's just you got to like help each other. You know? Yeah. So I have total faith in the in the coming generations that, that I, I do not I would never wish anyone to have to grow up during the uh, the dawn of the internet, you know. But yeah. uh, but I think it's a, a terrible thing that we just have to address. Absolutely, and it's the 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 reason I brought up in Reverie is uh, we were. <laughs> So we were all from Alaska, and so when In Reverie came out, we were on tour. We had driven from Birmingham, Alabama to Anchorage, Alaska, like straight six and a half days. Holy moly. Sucked. <laughs> we got up there. We're on our way to go do a radio interview at this college radio station up there and in Anchorage. And that was the first, like the first time we heard um, uh, the the record, In Reverie. And, yeah, and yeah. So... <laughs> Even the and we had heard like people had been reviewing and like I don't know what's going on here like this is so different um, like it was getting mixed reviews and we're like well that's strange and we hadn't heard anything yet and we're literally in the van I remember I was lying on this futon in the van and the the radio host um, actually said all right well we got some new music to play for you um, from Saves the Day uh, I don't know what this is but here you go wow <laughs> that's, that's exactly amazing. what he said. I don't know what <laughs> yeah. this is or what they're doing, but here it is on the radio before playing yeah, the song. Sounds... And I was like, that's fucked up. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's great. just, Oh, it's an awesome record. It it's is. just that it's, it's just that it, uh, uh, it was just not what people were expecting, Yeah, you know, but, and then at the time with radio, um, I remember the record label saying like, that the it just didn't fit the format of radio because there was like Limp Biscuit and Kid Rock and stuff out at that time, you know, and yeah. so there was a lot of like ooh, ah, 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 happening, yeah, <laughs> you know, like that that <laughs> stuff, and so we just made like a heady record. I mean, it sounds a to me it reminds me a lot of like the Pixies record um, Bossa Nova, okay, um, which is a bit mellower for them, but it's just. We were kind of just, you know, <laughs> sure. just having fun making songs, like not not overthinking anything. Yeah, and that was on a but, major, um, right? That was on DreamWorks. Well, we made it for Vagrant, and then it got bought by a major. Perfect. So, okay. So yeah. it was still just made for Vagrant, and they were psyched on it and everything. I mean, there's like all the bidding wars. All the labels were really psyched on it, and then it just didn't fit the format for radio. So it's funny that the DJ is like, "I'm not sure what this is." <laughs> yeah, and it was a yeah. college radio station too. It wasn't like uh, the main, like the active rock radio station. It was yeah. a college radio station where the guy yeah. was like, "Uh, yeah." It might like my take on that at the time. It was really painful. Nowadays, it'd be like, "Oh well, so can you send me a link to your record?" Yeah. Where's your phone? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what do you do? What's your, you know, yeah. What if, what have you done? Exactly. So, you know, and I'm I've just been lucky enough that our fans are so awesome. Like just the diehard saves fans that just dig whatever we put out. Yeah. You know, because it's always honest music coming from an honest place. 
and written out of, you know, the joy of writing. So it's like, you know, it's good stuff. It doesn't have to be, you know, like a, a platinum record to still be good. So oh, of course not. Yeah. I, that was a good lesson to learn. Like, you know, like it's, you just gotta keep your eye on the ball and keep making music that you like. And what's cool is like in Reverie turned 15 this year mm-hmm. and, um, I mean, our fans like love that record. So it's, so it's, it's just interesting how time works as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, that's, it's a, just a cool record. It doesn't have to be, <laughs> I think there were a lot of expectations cause we were sort of like blowing up. So I think there are expectations that it would be, you know, like, I don't know, stay what you are part two or something. Yeah. Which everyone wants at the time, you know? Yeah, but and if you listen to Can't Slow Down and then listen to Through Being Cool, they're two completely different sounding records. And then Through Being Cool to Stay What You Are is another massive leap. And then if you look at songs like um, Freakish or Nightingale or This Is Not an Exit from Stay What You Are, that's how you could connect the dots to In Reverie. So it's, we just, I just continue to grow and I'm not like thinking about a formula. So, sure. you know, this. But I'm grateful, like, for people like Dan Sanshaw, you know, and our diehard fans and everybody that, you know, has sort of let me, like, live this awesome life of just being an artist, an artist for art's sake. Yeah. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from Equal Vision Records. As you guys know, Equal Vision Records is my family, and so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got Hot Water Music with their 10th studio album, Vows, out May 10th, featuring guest appearances by Dallas Green of City and Color, Thrice, The Interrupters, and Brendan and Daniel from Turnstile. See them on the 30th anniversary tour with Quicksand in the States in May and June and Europe in November. Hotwatermusic.com for more info. We also have Be Well with their new 7-inch, A Tap I Can't Turn Off, out now. First new music in two years from this band. This band is incredible, featuring members of Battery, Bane, Darkest Hour, and Fairweather. See them on tour with I Am The Avalanche in June. Equalvision.com for more info on that. And just your general information on Equal Vision Records, you're always going to find something you like at Equalvision.com. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Hot Water Music's new record and Be Well's new 7-inch now. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. 
You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of of things that we could throw in there to 
help make it a valuable part of your month. Because I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, So being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me. And having your support is a big deal to me. Because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Yeah. So, yeah. And you've done, I mean, you've done so many great things, but when, for you, when did you come to that realization and that, that kind of, um, it's almost stoicism, like the, that just that Zen of, you know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And, and that's, and being okay with that, not worrying about, um, the reviews or worrying about, you know, like you, it's really respectful that you put out honest music for your fans and your fans know that that you're doing yeah. that. they know your intention and that's respectful to them but at the same time yeah. being respectful to yourself and being honest with yourself when did you come to that i mean has it been that way since the beginning or did it take yeah you know that yeah to i've happen? just i just always been somebody that's not like overthinking what i'm doing mm-hmm. i'm just doing it and that's why i feel really lucky that i've been allowed to have this career you know why someone like dan is so important because it wasn't really until that and everything that I was like, wait, what? I was just going about my business. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, but the one thing is I never, ever have ever been interested in reading someone else's opinion of what I do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because I got so relentlessly teased and tormented growing up that uh, I'm already like pre-broken. <laughs> like. Yeah. So anyone's opinion, if you take praise seriously, there's always praise and blame. So if you take praise seriously, the blame is also just as true. So, sure. you know, for me, I uh, one of the most important lessons was talking with Rob Schnaff, the producer of Stay What You Are and In Reverie, after In Reverie. And he was just like, we had a great time making this record. And I was like, yeah, I fucking love it. He's like, I do too. You know, he's the guy that, um, produced Elliot Smith, discovers discovered Beck and whatnot, and uh-huh. I I care about his opinion, you know. And so he was like, he told me this story about like Socrates and this like Olympic athlete, like back in the day, uh-huh. and uh, way back, <laughs> yeah, all the way back. And the guy wanted to be the best shot put athletes, you know, at the Olympics. And so his coach had him like work really hard on his calf muscles so he could like launch the ball with his legs kind of, but then everybody made fun of him at the bathhouse. And he was, so he's like, I hate being made fun of, but like my coach says, I have to, you know, work hard on this to get good at what I want to be good at. And Socrates just goes, well, who knows more about what you want to be good at? And so that, that just instantly, that was like the moment where I was like, Oh, yeah, like the people making fun of you at the bathhouse, this the, that making fun of that guy at the bathhouse, probably couldn't even lift the, probably couldn't even lift the uh, the ball, you know. Yeah. So that was that like really put everything into focus very quickly. Okay. I also read read a book at that time called Mansion on the Hill, uh-huh. which is uh, the subtitles The Collision of Rock and Commerce. So it's all about like um, how you know, artists like Bob Dylan or Neil Young uh, make records that like other musicians dig, but they were never like fully commercial. It's like the mamas and the papas or the uh, Peter, Paul and Mary doing Dylan songs and the birds doing Dylan songs. Mm-hmm. 
that made his songs, you know, popular. But people like really hated the way that he sang. Yeah. And when he went electric, people were like really pissed off. And so one of the stories Rob shared with me is like, I love this live recording of Dylan right when he went electric. And somebody, uh, you know, someone in our audience, like, you know, says, uh, calls him Judas. Like, because he's not playing any of his, like, blown in the wind, you know, acoustic songs. Yeah. And Dylan turns around to his band and just says, play it fucking loud. <laughs> so they launch it. They don't play, you know, so they continue what they're doing. They're going to play exactly what they're going to play. Yeah. And not worry about this dickhead in the audience calling him Judas. You know, so, and that, and that's like, I, this, there's not like a, there's not a direct parallel there, but there is an experiential parallel where just to realize that, um, you know, (laughs) I mean, Bob Dylan didn't know that 40 years later, you know, it would be a lot less of a big deal. People wouldn't be talking about how weird his voice is. I remember growing up, like my parents would talk about how weird his voice is. (laughs) People don't really say it anymore. Yeah. You know, and that yeah. was many, many moons ago. So you just never know like how things, how things are going to, how things are going to turn out. Sure. And so it's sort of like, uh, it just focused my, it fo- focused my eye on the ball really quickly. Interesting. And then I was also like set up in a way with the, all the labels where they let, you know, they made sure that says that they could continue to make music like forever. So I was able to like set up a studio, you know? So I think there are people in the industry that recognize this band is not like a commercial act. This is like an artistic act. And those things are important as well. It's not just all about sales. So that's sort of like how I, you know, like put, put it all in perspective. So there's another quote of Neil Young where he says, if you have a career long enough, if you're lucky to have a career long enough in music, you'll notice it goes up and down like in waves. So, yeah, you know, just if, and you, you can't be worried about the ups and downs. You got to just like be thankful that you get to do it. And so I felt that way for a long time. So in a reverie was the first time I ever really, you know, took my head out of the clouds and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. What is, wait, what? I was just writing songs over here. You know? Yeah. yeah. You guys were showing up, you know? It wasn't, it's not like I was out there like waving flyers around. Sure. I was just a lucky kid. Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got an awesome situation. And I mean, it's something that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad, you know, you're able to do what you want to do. And, and, but it's also, you got to think about too, where, you got to have the highs and the lows to appreciate the highs. I mean, yeah. if there was no lows, it would literally just be head in the clouds all the time. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and I mean, yeah. And also the uh, the long and short of it all is like I'm the most grateful dude ever. You know, so I'm I feel so lucky to have experienced all of these things. And so yeah, I definitely do not feel like I don't look back at all and like regret anything or feel bad about any of this stuff you know i'm like if anything i'm just super grateful to be able to still make music and so i feel so lucky to have learned so many lessons along the way yeah and i'm like and i'm just chilling it's fun i like it (laughs) it's amazing because you get to i mean you're you're essentially working for yourself and and 
I mean, just having that stress off, you're not having to show up at a at a job every day, you know, like you can get up and I mean, can you see a song? This is one thing I've always been curious about with you is can you see the song completed when you start it as far as can you see the end um, when you're creating a song or is it kind of hit or miss? Well, most of the time it, they'll come in like little pieces. Okay. And then like I'll hear like a riff in my head or a little melody in my head. And then I'll just start working on that. So I'll like get out the guitar, you know, sing the thing into a voice memo so I don't, re- so don't forget it. Uh-huh. You know, and then, you know, and then get to a guitar. If I don't have one around right then, I'll get to one as soon as I can and sort of work out what, what was that melody or what was that drum part or what was that guitar riff. And I'll open up the voice memos and start working on it. And then from there, the song just like jamming on it will unfold and a new idea will sort of present itself in the moment, like it'll unfold into a bridge or a chorus or something. I've got you. Um, and sometimes I'm not sure what, what the part is going to be when it comes to me at first, it could be the last line of the song or it could be the bridge of the song, or it could be a part where I start to work on it, which leads to another part. And then I abandon the, the first idea because I like the next, this, what came out of that even more. Okay. So, um, but I think typically, um, I'll just dive in anytime like that, those kind of ideas show up in the, in the back of the head Okay. and just, and just jump in and have fun playing around with it. I gotcha. Okay. That's interesting. Cause I, I wasn't sure. I, it seemed like everything has such a good flow. It seems like maybe it was one of those things where, um, you know, cause it's, it's hard to write a pop song. It's hard to write a song with melody. Like it's, it's to, to really do it right. It seems like it's really hard to do. I mean, there's a lot of different well, styles of music that yeah. seem a lot easier to do, you know? My theory is that it's like one of the uh, types of musicians. You have like your drummers, your guitar players, your bass players, your singers. One of those is a songwriter. Yeah. And so for me, I just have a knack for songwriting. So that is like what I do naturally. So where a guitar player, Arun, can like play circles around <laughs> almost anyone on guitar you know like yeah. what what i can do is put a song together and it just makes sense to me and it's like playing with it's like it's like working on a puzzle that's and it's just really really fun yeah and so it just feels like just playing you know and like just having a really good time sure. the words are the same way because i i got educated uh in uh in princeton and then the at NYU as well at, for creative writing. So I have like a lot of experience just in the craft of it all. So sure. when that like inspiration strikes, uh, it's just so fun to like pick up the pen or the guitar and just like see where it goes. Yeah. That's why it's fun. That's that, that, that thing right there is what's cool about with music is, uh, there's some people that talk about, you know, people being able to project themselves through an instrument, um, a lot of people talk about like with Hendrix, like a yeah. Hendrix song you've never heard, you know it's Hendrix. Right, um, right, right. Where you see some guy from Guitar Center in his cover band, no, nothing against the cover band thing, but <laughs> trying to play Purple Haze, he's maybe a way better guitar player, like technically. Right. It sounds nothing like it. But you don't it hear Hendrix, forced. yeah. You don't hear it. And partially yeah, because he was like feeling. a sloppy kind of player and doing things that he didn't have to do from from probably some poor technique, learning things upside down. I mean, there's a lot of factors there, but yeah. 
you know, those guys can't write a song like he can, you know, like same thing with you. Right. You can write a song. You may not shred up and down, you know, like a, like right. a, uh, well, uh, now I've got a rune for that. So there you go. Yes. But you can put and a he's song been for important. 10 years, which is awesome. Yeah. Cause you guys yeah. have had a lot of members. Yeah, there's been 21 members aside <laughs> oh, from me. But what's I think a lot of people don't realize that uh, Arun and Rodrigo have both been in the band for 10 years now. Yeah. And that's the longest anyone's ever been in the band. And our drummer, Dennis, has been in the band for five years in April. And the longest I ever had a lineup together before that was two and a half years in, a, in one stretch. So I think that's one... Another one of those sort of misconceptions yeah. I'll bring up from time to time. So I think it's important people know like, Arun and Rod and Dennis have been in the band collectively all together twice as long, you know, as, as I ever had any lineup together before that. So yeah. that's, it's cool. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, you have, you have the vision. I mean, you're writing the stuff. This is one thing I want to touch on too is, is, uh, two tongues. Because yeah. you and Max, Max is another force as far as music goes, songwriting, like writing so many songs, um, and and basically the the lifeblood of say anything. Yeah. Um, how I know you guys are friends, but when you guys get together to write that music, I mean you're both uh, kind of in charge of your own separate right, entities. Right. How does that work when you guys get together? Because that music's fantastic as well. Thank you. Well, we 50 50 it. Yeah, it works great. It works out really great. I think we're into the similar stuff. So there's like sort of just a simpatico. Yeah. And then um, typically like for, for each record, it would be like Max had five or six songs and I had five or six songs that were sort of like halfway finished. And we play them for one another and help. We put it, we finish the songs together and then write the words together. Okay. So it's just like, it's sort of like the way, um, you know, they say like Paul would come up with a verse and John would write the chorus mm -hmm. or the bridge or something. Yeah. So if I came up with the verse and chorus, Max would write the bridge and vice versa. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of a cool experiment in relinquishing some control too, as far as yeah. kind of trusting each other. Yeah, well, we're fans of one another, so it's easy. That's it's not cool. hard. Yeah, that's excellent, and it's. I mean, that music's great too. I, I was really curious on that, just from you know knowing that you guys are both the, the driving force of your own own band. So um, it's cool to see how that comes together so well. You know. Yeah, it's 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 awesome when that kind of thing clicks. It's a really cool feeling. Sure, sure. So. I wanted to talk a bit about uh, your journey through meditation and also being a father because yeah. you know, I'm a father as well. I stopped yeah. touring when I had kids. Um, you know, being a touring musician, um, you know, you're kind of doing things on your own terms as far as the schedule goes, I'm, I would imagine. But um, I'm kind of curious on how, how much um, of your lifestyle that you project onto – onto your daughter as far as music like did you expose her in the same way to music as your parents did for you or do you kind of let her discover things on her own you know like what <laughs> i think i i tried to show her stuff okay. but she is so like strong-willed in her own person <laughs> and she's been around music since she was you know in utero so yeah you know, she came out and was already like over it <laughs> you know she was just like okay dad you know that's cool and stuff, but, uh, I'm doing my own thing. And so, um, 
I definitely, I'll like point out on the radio when it's a song that I really like. Okay. And, you know, if it's, I have this one thing where if it's the Beatles or Rolling Stones, I'll say, which, now, who is this band? And it's every time it's either the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. And she's really good at picking out this is the Beatles and this is the Rolling Stones. Sure. But she did in her own, uh, you know, like experience, get really interested in music through theater. So she's been doing theater since she was like five or six. And um, they do plays and musicals. And so she loves theater. Like it's like she's just so natural. And then in the musicals, they had to learn, you know, how to sing. And she had natural talent for singing. So then uh, she landed like the role of Ursula in Little Mermaid one year. (laughs) And um, yeah, uh, or actually, I think it was the year she got um, Maleficent. And uh, what is that? Sleep, uh, Sleeping, Sleeping Beauty, Beauty, I think. I think it's Sleeping Beauty, yeah. And she had like all these songs to sing as solos. So she started taking vocal lessons to learn the songs and stuff. And she was just so natural at that. She's turns out she's an incredible singer. She hits these pure notes and um, she can project. And, um, and it's incredible just how effortlessly talented she is. And then through that, they, um, at the music school, they offered piano. So she started taking piano and then ukulele and she started taking ukulele and all that was just all stuff she wanted to do. And then in her school, they, you know, in fifth grade, they all started playing instruments and she started playing clarinet in the school band. Okay. So, and has continued to do the theater. So she has like all this musical experience now and she found that all on her own and out of her own and center her own initiative yeah you know even because i yeah i tried to get her like all psyched on music but (laughs) um turns out she did she figured that out all on her own in fact a couple of weeks ago or before i left for this last tour she like comes out of her room she's like hey dad where's that ukulele and I was like, oh, the one, uh, you know, from last summer that you were playing a bunch? She's like, yeah. I said, oh, it's in the studio. She said, can you go get it? So I went and fetched it. And the studio is like right out in my backyard. Okay. And I fetched it and I was like, here you go. And uh, she disappears into her room. And like 15 minutes later, I can hear her in there singing a song that she had heard on the radio that day. And I was like, oh, my gosh, did you just figure that out on your own? <laughs> She's like, yeah. And I was like wow so that that ukulele was it wasn't really fully fully tuned when you when you snagged it did you tune that yourself she said yeah i looked up how to tune it and she she, i downloaded an app she tuned it learned the chords and was singing it within 15 minutes like had taught herself a song dude it's on yeah she's yeah she's the next level oh god that doesn't make you so proud. I mean, it's, oh, it's finding awesome. something naturally and not because dad does what he does. Like, that's the coolest it's thing. Really, it's really cool. I really love it when she shares her songs. She shared me a song that she wrote on her own the other day. And it's called Dancing in the Moonlight. And uh, and I was just amazed. It's like sounds like a song you could hear on the radio. I was just like, wow, you're nuts. Dude, are you recording <laughs> yeah. some of this stuff in the studio? Like, come on in and play this with some microphones and stuff? Yeah, I did that um, last summer, and she was, like, semi-into it. 
So I think it'll it'll happen for her when like a group of friends all want to do it together because she's now like she's 13 and like so interested in just friends and whatnot. Yeah. You know, so it's like I always had heard, you know, like after, you know, once they're once they turn 13, they've just like become really interested in their their social group. Sure. And like. The parents got a solid 12 years in. <laughs> and so I think like the some of her friends are like way into recording music on their laptops. Okay. And so she winds up doing that with them. And so she just like very much like wants to do do it her way and I she's just like if I go back to pictures of her in in the womb like in ultrasounds, she's still that person. She's like <laughs> she's like uh Get this camera off me, man. Just yeah. yeah. Let me do my thing. Let me do my thing in here, you know? Yeah. Dude, that's gotta make you proud. That's awesome. She's awesome. That's she's excellent. just it's yeah, she's gonna I enroll uh filled out an application for her to do this like art school. An art it's a performing arts high school, sort of like fame. Okay. Um here in Chico for next for next year, starting next year. So if she gets in that, um she'll be in heaven because they do like 40 productions a year and stuff. And they learn all about, yeah, like music, instrumental music, vocal, uh, vocal music, sure. um, theater, dance, videography, you know, cinematography, writing scripts. So she's like psyched. That's awesome. She's going to be doing her thing. That's awesome. Being a parent is, is awesome, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really, it really is. I mean, I have a song, a bit on on our new album at the very end of the record, like second to last part of the the last song, uh, which is a really long song with like seven songs in one. That's about her. It's called Angel, and the lyric of the chorus is "You are the light in a heartbroken world, and I was a lost cause." So I think without her, and having to, you know, rise to the occasion as a parent, you know, it can be so easy to get lost in like nihilism with yeah. the world being the way it is and yeah. you know it's just like i just don't feel that way i'm just like i'm I'm really optimistic about the future and i'm optimistic about like life itself and she's a massive part of that yeah that's really inspiring and i mean yeah. your outlook is really inspiring and and uh i mean it's always it there's always been a lot of positivity you know it seems coming from your your camp and and you know something i've seen for a long time and and uh being a fan of what you're doing and and uh i mean it's it's just really inspiring you know thanks man um, thank I, you i really uh i we're almost out of time here i i uh maybe we'll do a part two or something in february yeah I'm, uh, yeah i'd be i'd be way down you come through town we're gonna be up there yeah, yeah we're gonna be up in portland i think in a couple months yeah i was saying maybe cool do a part two and we'll we'll dig into like the uh meditation and and that'd be uh, great. spiritual side of things and and kind of do a separate that. deal that'd be awesome i'm totally Let's do down it. for that okay okay perfect well chris dude i man it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh you know getting to pick your brain for a while and and uh it's one of the cool parts of this show man is it's just getting to talk about things that I've, i've wanted to talk about yeah. with some of my favorite people so i really dig the like personal aspect it's that was really enjoyable and it's nice it's always nice to get to know like other dad musicians you know yeah. Yeah. you know just so 
I look forward to ch- hanging out up when we go up north. Awesome, man. I'll shoot you I'll shoot you a text the week before okay, or something and, and we'll work it out, man. I'll let you get back to your family and, and uh, Okay, thanks, man. Thanks again, man. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. All right, okay, Chris. so I'll catch you on the flip. All right. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Conley from Saves the Day from Two Tongues. Uh, their new record, Nine, is out now on Equal Vision, and it is fantastic. I know he referenced the last song on there is a is quite a long. It's like 20-some minutes. Uh, I recommend checking out that whole record, though. It's fantastic. I've loved this band a long time, and it was really awesome for Chris to come on. Like I said, we're going to do a part two in February, and that should be good, too. We're going to go to a lot of different areas that we didn't go on this interview. Uh, but what an inspiring guy. I mean, hit me up and let me know if you guys feel the same way. I mean, I literally finished that interview on fire like i was just like this is great like i i texted him right afterwards and uh you know said man thank you so much for coming on and he's just gracious so big thanks to chris if chris if you're listening thank you man thank you dan sanshaw uh at equal vision for getting all this hooked up uh just a he's he's family too to this show uh and to me so uh dan thank you and uh all right guys well i'm gonna get out of here it's been a great year i appreciate all the support and uh, look forward to getting rejuvenated over these next week or two and uh, getting back to you guys first week of 2019. Uh, check out rockabilia.com. Check out Sticker Ninja, uh, stickerninjapdx.com. Check out the store and get yourself some merch from the show at peerpleasure.bigcartel.com. And uh, as always, guys, we'll see you on the radio. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.